Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I want to take a walk down Wall Street and talk about two very popular terms that are used to talk about risk on the street. This episode is all about alpha and beta. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. All right, let's go ahead and get started. As most of you know, last week I had a great conversation with Kyle Floyd of Vox Royalty, and in that conversation, Kyle and I used quite a bit of Wall Street lingo that I wanted to take some time today and really explain. Alpha and beta are both terms that describe the balance between risk and reward. Let's talk about the risks for a moment. For the purposes of Wall Street, the word risk can be loosely defined as the probability of an adverse outcome or the probability that your expected return does not happen. If you expect a specific asset or even a whole portfolio to get you a 10% return over the next year, your risks are anything that would cause you to get less than that expected 10% return. At the highest level, there are two types of risk. You have systemic risk, also known as market risk, and then you have unsystematic risk or specific risk. Systemic risk is better remembered as market risk, These types of risks affect almost every asset in the market, and you cannot protect yourself by diversifying. Alternatively, you have unsystematic risk. Unsystematic risk, or specific risk, is scalable. Specific risks can affect an industry, geographical area, or even just a specific asset. Unsystematic risk can be diversified away. Let's do some examples. Systemic risks could be natural disasters, changes in laws, economic recessions, sudden interest rate hikes, and market liquidity issues. With all of these, a vast majority of the market can and will be hit hard, and there's really nothing you can do about it. It's not like if you would have invested in Coke instead of Pepsi, or the bond market instead of the stock market could have saved you. If one of these things happen, just about everything is affected. These risks are systemic because they affect large portions of the market, or the system, and you cannot diversify yourself to protect yourself from these risks. Now, I will say that there are going to be situations you can think of where you can diversify out of a certain risk by investing a certain way, but these events are inherently unpredictable, so unless you can either see into the future or protect yourself from every single risk, I feel comfortable saying that in general, you can't protect yourself from these risks. Well, how about specific risks? Specific risks could be a giant lawsuit filed against a company you're invested in, or maybe the price of a commodity changes wildly and affects your company's bottom line. Maybe your company's CEO suddenly steps down or has a serious medical issue. I'm going to again include changes in laws here too because there might be a law passed that affects a specific industry. The thing to remember about specific or unsystematic risk is that only one asset or an industry is affected, not the entire market, maybe just a segment. Because of that, these risks can be diversified away. If you have all of your money invested in Tesla and Elon Musk suddenly passes away, then you can bet that stock is going to drop like a rock. However, if Tesla is only 10% of your portfolio, then you aren't nearly as affected. 
Say, for example, that the U.S. passes a law that puts stricter and harsher rules on how much profit insurance companies can make on their low-risk clients. Well, then companies like Progressive and Aflac are going to get rocked, but if your portfolio holds more than just insurance companies, then you're likely going to be fine. As a final example, maybe you own stock in Subway and a journalist publishes an article that an independent lab did a DNA test on Subway tuna, and the lab was unable to find any tuna DNA in the tuna. Which is a true story, by the way. Diversification is important because there are far more specific risks than there are market risks. With enough diversification, getting hit by one of these will hurt you about as bad as a mosquito bite. With those explanations of risk out of the way, let's talk about beta. Beta is a numerical representation of the systemic risk of a certain asset in comparison to the market. Investment professionals like it because it is a quick number that explains the risk and reward profile of an asset. Beta is typically used to assess a stock in comparison to the general stock market. The number represents a fraction of how much that particular stock moves when the market moves. Let's do some examples. If stock A has a beta of 1.0, then the stock is considered to be almost perfectly correlated with the market. So if the entire market goes up by 3% on a certain day, then this stock will, in general, likely go up 3%. If stock B's beta is 0.5, then on the same day the stock market goes up 3%, stock B will likely only go up 1.5%. Lastly, let's take stock C. Stock C has a beta of 2.0, so when the market goes up 3%, stock C went up, you guessed it, 6%. After hearing that explanation, I am sure that you are thinking that the higher the beta, the better. That is not true. Remember that beta is a measure of risk. In general, more risk should reward you with higher returns. So at stock C's beta of 2.0, you are taking on twice the risk of the general market, so logically, you should receive twice the return. The important thing to remember here is that beta works on good days and on bad days. With that beta of 2.0, when the stock market is down 3%, then you're down 6%. Beta is a very useful measurement because it can be used on a single stock and also on your entire stock portfolio. Remember that beta is only used to measure the systemic risk of the market, or the risks that affect everything in the market. Beta is calculated by comparing the historical returns of one stock or your stock portfolio against the returns of the general stock market over the same period. What you are solving for with beta is just how much your portfolio will move when the market moves. A beta of 1 means that your stock or portfolio will move with the market. With a beta of greater than 1, you will see more movement on both good days and bad days than the general stock market. A beta of less than 1 means that your portfolio will move less than the general market day by day. Essentially, beta is a measure of your stock's volatility in comparison to the general market. Let's use a few real examples. For reference, I'm looking on Yahoo Finance for my beta figures. This will become important in a few minutes. Let's start with Walmart. Walmart is the number one company in the world by revenue. Let's think about it for a second. Do you think that Walmart stock price moves more than the general market, less than the general market, or with the general market? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. The beta for Walmart, as reported by Yahoo Finance, is 0.47. So Walmart's stock price tends to move about half as much as the market. Another way to describe it is that investing in the general stock market is more than twice as risky as investing in Walmart. Let's do another one. 
What do you think Tesla's beta is? Well, it was actually a surprise to me, but it's actually 2.0. Personally, I would have thought it would be higher. With all of that being understood, there's one last thing on the topic of beta, and it is the thing that inspired this whole episode. Last week, during my talk with Kyle Floyd, Kyle mentioned that precious metals tend to have a negative beta. Well, the question then becomes, what is a negative beta and why do we care? Since beta is a measure of how in-step a stock price moves in relation to the general market, a negative beta means that the stock moves in the opposite direction of the general stock market. This can be a very powerful tool when it comes to diversification. Let's say we have three portfolios. Portfolio A is invested 100% in the general stock market using an index fund. Portfolio B has 70% of its money invested in the same total stock market index fund, but the remaining 30% is invested in a money market fund that really doesn't move with the market. Portfolio C also has 70% of its money in that same total stock market index fund, but that last 30% is invested in a single stock that has a beta of negative 0.4. Let's take these three portfolios and say that over the course of a month, the stock market drops 10%. Well, portfolio A, which was invested only in the total stock market, goes down 10%, same thing as the market. Portfolio B only drops by 7% because even though they experienced a 10% drop in their total stock market index fund, there was 30% that was untouched by that. And then we have portfolio C. Portfolio C had 70% of its assets also drop by that 10%, but that other 30% of the portfolio was invested in an asset that had a negative beta. So while the general stock market dropped, that negative beta asset went up, which of course would help offset some of the losses of the general market. Since the beta was a negative 0.4, that translates so that every 1% of the stock market drop means that this stock went up by 0.4%. So a 10% drop in the total stock market means an increase of 4% with our negative beta stock. So on the whole, portfolio C was only down 5.8%. Now, I know I just threw a whole lot of numbers at you, so I'm gonna go ahead and say them again. In the case of a 10% drop in the general stock market, portfolio A dropped 10%. Portfolio B dropped 7% because it had a portion of its money not in the stock market. And portfolio C only dropped 5.8% because there was a portion of the fund that was invested in a negative beta asset. Hopefully with this, you can see why portfolio managers love to find and add negatively correlated or negative beta assets into their portfolio. Now that we have a solid foundation on what beta is and how to use it, I would like to spend a minute and talk about how we come up with the specific number of beta. The long story short is that we use statistics. We take a bunch of measurements for both the asset and the general stock market, and we take the covariance between the two groups of measurements and then divide it by the variance of the market returns. Now, if you didn't understand that last sentence, I completely understand. Essentially, we take a group of measurements of returns for both the individual stock and the stock market, and we run some formulas to come up with the beta. Here is why I wanted to bring this up. When you go look up the beta on a particular asset, it is important to note that there will likely not be any two sources that agree on what the beta is. There are two main things that change the math. The first is the data used. When you are comparing returns, are you using daily, monthly, quarterly, or annual returns? Also, how far back are you testing? One year, three, five, more, less? 
You can run the covariance divided by variance function using any of these, but you may see differences between websites due to the data that they decide to use. For example, Yahoo Finance may calculate their betas based off of the last five years of monthly returns, while CNBC may calculate their betas using the last three years of daily returns. These different data sets will give us slightly different numbers. The next factor that'll give you a difference is what your representation for the market is. When you're comparing a stock to the market, what are you using for the market? Are you using a popular index fund? Are you using the Dow Jones 30, the S&P 500, the Russell 2000? Different people and different companies may use a different stand-in to represent the market. Now, I know I probably just put a bit of doubt in your head, but remember that these differences are going to be small. Changing between the data sets I've mentioned won't turn a beta from negative to 2.0. For example, I looked up Walmart's beta using Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Zach's research. The beta values shown were 0.46, 0.47, and 0.48. Similarly, I pulled the beta values for Tesla using the same three sources. Those betas came out to be 1.98, 1.99, and 2.0. Because the numbers are not the same, we can assume that either they're using different numbers to calculate their beta, or that there's a difference in rounding somewhere in their math. Either way, the point is that you shouldn't freak out if you find that these numbers are not the same every place you look. So that is going to be it for beta. Now let's talk about alpha. Now I can already hear some of you groan. The, oh lord, that was the explanation for beta. How long is he going to drone on about alpha? Well, you can relax, because there is not much to alpha. It is a much simpler concept. Where beta is a measure of the volatility difference in an asset in comparison to the general market, alpha is the excess return that is earned above your beta. To put it simply, alpha is what is referred to when you make more money than you mathematically should have. Let's segue straight into my favorite teaching tool, an example. Let's say that you invest in a stock that has a beta of 1.0, as we've previously explained, a beta of 1.0 means that you should expect the stock to move almost exactly with the general market. Let's say that at the end of the year, the stock market returned 10%, but your stock returned 12%. Well, that additional 2% that you received is considered alpha. According to the math behind the beta calculation, based on potentially five years of data and based on the amount of risk that you signed up for when buying a stock with a beta of 1.0, you signed up to receive a 10% return, but in actuality, you got 12%. And that's it. That's what alpha is. I'm going to say it again just so I can pad the runtime for this section. Alpha is the excess return that is earned above your beta. Essentially, you took on no additional risk, but you ended up receiving an additional return. If I were to pick a meme to describe what alpha is, it would be... It's free real estate. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is my episode on alpha, beta, and why you should care. The next time you're talking to coworkers and want to throw in some lingo to see if they know what they're talking about, now you have some ammunition. And while you're waiting on that perfect moment to assert your dominance around the keg or water cooler, please remember to like, subscribe, and spread the word that Main Street Finance is the place to learn all you need to know about personal finance. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, 
Make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.